the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Moral test, the test of brotherly love. And finally, there is the test of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine as it pertains to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine asks this question Do I know and believe the essential truth about Christ, who he is, and what he did on the cross? And once again, true believers answer yes, because the Holy Spirit resides in them, and therefore the Holy Spirit has taught them the truth about who Jesus Christ is. I know a lot of church people who shudder just at the mention of the word doctrine. It conjures notions of dry, purposeless studies of arcane theological terms, each one demanding a look at the Bible dictionary, each look at the dictionary leading to yet another word to look up, dry, boring, and pointless. And the study of doctrine can get like that if you let it, but that's not the way it should be. Doctrine in its purest form is simply what we believe. We all have doctrines because we all have beliefs. But is our doctrine the same as that taught by God in His Word? That's the important question, because some of that doctrine will determine where we spend eternity. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'll tell you a little more about Lakeside and Pastor Steve after our study. I think the best job I had before becoming a missionary was the years I spent as an industrial electrician. It was often hot and dirty work, but parts of it were a lot of fun, especially programming the machinery. The software we used was pretty smart. If we made a change to the programming, we could run it in test mode before actually saving the changes, And that way, if we made a mistake, we could instantly return the machine to its previous programming. When we were ready to save the changes, the computer would warn us of possible consequences and ask, Are you sure? We would say yes. The computer would say, Are you really sure? Again, we would say yes. The computer then would ask, Are you really, really sure? The Apostle John's first letter was written specifically so that you and I could be really, really sure of our salvation. Here's Pastor Steve to begin today's lesson. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, and I want to read to you the first three verses. John writes, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him, Beloved. Now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We want to continue our study 
of this wonderful letter, this letter known as 1 John, by looking at these three verses that open chapter 3. It's been about a month since we studied this epistle, so let me remind you of where we are in our study. 1 John is essentially a series of tests given by the Apostle John, presented to his readers as a way of helping them gain assurance of their salvation. False teachers that we know as Gnostics, though the book does not call them Gnostics, but history does. False teachers known as Gnostics had come into the church and were troubling these believers, telling them that they were not saved because they didn't possess knowledge like they had. That's why they're called Gnostics, for knowledge. They didn't possess this higher understanding, this higher knowledge necessary to be a Christian. And though these Gnostics had left the church, we read in 1 John 2, they went out from among us because they were not really part of us. However, they left some lingering doubts in the minds of the Christians. And so these folks had doubts about their salvation, doubts about where they stood with Christ. And John, therefore, writes this letter to specifically address the issue of assurance. We know that because at the end of the letter, chapter 5, verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And throughout the letter, you see things like, we know that we have eternal life because, we know that we pass from death into life because. So the letter is about knowing real knowledge of the assurance of salvation. Now, the specific way that John goes about helping these folks to know that they're saved, he presents several tests to them. These are objective tests whereby these believers could evaluate their lives and see if they had tangible evidence in their lives of being really converted. That is to say, yes, someone may say, I have true faith, but if you have true faith, John says, there will be certain tangible evidences that will prove that you really have come to faith in Christ. And and basically, John gives three tests. Now, he repeats these tests a number of times, so it seems like there are more, but there are three essential tests. Number one is the moral test. The moral test asks this question, does my behavior evidence that I have been transformed by grace and that a new nature resides in me? The moral test is a test of morals. It's a test of behavior. It's a test of outward godliness. And true believers can answer this in the affirmative, and they are assured of their salvation. They look at their lives, they see they really have become new creatures in Christ. They desire to obey the word of God. They know that that is not something that would happen if they were not Christians, so they know that they're saved. In fact, look at chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Once again, I remind you, not perfect keeping, but the desire to keep, the the attitude that says, this is my pursuit in life. My life is characterized by desiring to keep God's word. The one who says, verse 4, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, John says. The truth is not in him. The person who said, I, I do know Christ, but they have no interest in obeying his word, John said, no matter what your profession is, you're lying. So that's the moral test. That's the moral test. True believers answer in the affirmative, yes, we do desire to obey. We do desire to conform our lives to the standards of Scripture. The second test is the test of brotherly love, which asks the question, do I love 
Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I have a special affection for them, a special relationship with them? And once again, true believers can answer in the affirmative. Yes, we do have a special love for Christians, which is supernatural because the world not only doesn't love Christians, according to scripture, the world hates Christians. The world hates us. But notice what John says in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Essentially, John is saying true believers love other true believers. So we do have a special affection for Christians. So that's the second test, the moral test, the test of brotherly love. And finally, there is the test of sound doctrine, sound doctrine as it pertains to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine asks this question, do I know and believe the essential truth about Christ, who he is and what he did on the cross? And once again, true believers answer yes, because the Holy Spirit resides in them and therefore the Holy Spirit has taught them the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Notice once again, chapter two, verses 20 through 23. But you have, John says, an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. He means that all true believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them, and they know not everything, but they know the truth of who Christ is and what he's done on the cross. He writes, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist the one who denies the Father and the Son. Now, he's not speaking here about the Antichrist in the sense of the one world ruler who's coming. This is the spirit of Antichrist, the one who denies who Jesus Christ is. He's talking about the Gnostic false teachers. But in contrast to them, true believers know the truth about who Jesus Christ is. We we may have some differing opinions on some secondary issues of doctrine, but every true believer knows that Jesus Christ is God, They know that he's man. They know that he died for sinners while on the cross. Now, as we've already noted, John doesn't simply give these tests once. Throughout this letter, he repeats it. He adds additional information. He emphasizes some new things. He brings out some things uh, down the road that he hasn't before. But essentially, these are the three tests. And this is precisely what we find at the end of chapter 2 all the way into chapter 3, verse 10. John returns, starting in chapter 2, verse 28, which was our last study, he returns to the moral test, the test of our behavior. And John's basic message in these verses, remember from chapter 2, verse 28, all the way to chapter 3, verse 10, is that those who are children of God pursue righteousness. Those who are children of God pursue righteousness. That's the basic message of this section. Notice how often John speaks in these verses of being a child of God in relation to practicing righteousness. For example, chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. If you know that God is righteous, then know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Chapter 3, Verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God. Once again, child of God, he spoke 
at the end of verse 29, born of him, that's the same thing, born of him now, child of God, children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him just as he is. This is another affirmation. We'll be like him in character, he means. Like him in character, child of God. Chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. It means he can't practice sin as a lifestyle. Chapter 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So understand as you as you see this repeated that John's basic message here, as we said, is that those who are children of God or those who are born of him, that's just another way of putting it, pursue righteous behavior. Now in the closing verses of chapter two, John introduced the subject of righteousness in relation to being a child of God by teaching us that children of God, those born of him, are marked by practicing righteousness. And the reason for this, as John explains, is because we have been born of him. Now, this is the first time, chapter 2, verse 29, the first time in this letter that John mentions this concept of being born of him. It's not the last time, but it is the first time. And the reason he mentions it here is because it explains why a child of God practices righteousness. That's, That's the foundation of it. You see, those who have been born of the Father have the Father's nature within them. Therefore, since he is righteous by nature, then a child of God, his behavior must resemble, at least to some degree, his righteousness. In other words, just as children bear the likeness of their physical parents, so every child of God bears a moral likeness to the one who has begotten him spiritually, which in this case is the father. Now, that's how John closed chapter two, by telling us that those who practice righteousness, meaning, meaning, let me clarify, that they pursue obedience to the word of God, both in attitudes and actions, they have been born again. In other words, every true child of God wants to do what God says is right. And how do they know what God says is right? He spells it out in his word. This is precisely what gives us assurance of salvation because this pursuit of righteousness, folks, is not something that a non-Christian will do. They never pursue righteousness because it honors the Lord. Now, you may know a non-Christian who gives the appearance of practicing righteousness, but it's phony, self-righteousness. It's not true righteousness. People like that are like the Pharisees, who Jesus said, practice their righteousness only to be seen of men, not to please God. If you have a desire to please him by obeying his word, then you're born again. You're born again. That's the proof of it. So what John is talking about then is that a true child of God has been given a new nature, a divine nature at salvation, and the evidence of that new nature that dwells inside of him is that he's interested in doing what scripture says. Now, once again, let me clarify, this doesn't mean that he won't fail in his obedience. He knows, we know that we fail many times, but it does mean that even with all of our failures and even with all of our sins and deficiencies, the general direction of a child of God's life will be characterized by actively pursuing what is right according to what the word of God says. 
Now, having said this, that everyone who practices righteousness is born of the Father, John is going to develop this further in chapter 3. However, before he does that, he does something very unique, something very special. He pauses. He actually pauses in the opening verses of chapter 3 in order to, in the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, to, and I, I quote, contemplate what exactly it means when we are told that we are children of God. That is to say that John actually stops. He, he stops at this point and he takes the first three verses of chapter three just to be in awe of God over what it means to be born of him. John has been writing this and he just stops. He can't go on until he worships the Lord. In doing this, though, he tells us some wonderful truths, marvelous truths of what it means to be a child of God. And that's what we want to look at. We want to be in awe of the Lord, just as John was, as we contemplate four truths about what it means to be a child of God. Now, I want you to realize this is not really an academic study. I mean, we're going to go deep into the word. We're going to try to explain what it means here. But this is not simply dispensing information for the sake of having a Bible study. This is a worshipful and a very wonderful passage of scripture in which John reveals his own heart and his personal amazement at the truth that God would love us so much as to make us his dear children. In the words of one Bible teacher, these three verses are perhaps the most moving verses in the entire epistle. So let's begin. The first truth that John reveals about the children of God is that they are children of God simply because of the Father's love. They are children of God because of the Father's love. Verse 1 starts this way. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Let's stop here. Now, as we've just noted, it would appear that when John came to the end of chapter 2 and he wrote about being born of, of him, that it, it just struck him. It just caused him to stop and ponder at the wonder the wonder of it all and being made a child of God. And the reason I say this is because he expresses this wonder in the opening words of verse 1 of chapter 3 when he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. I want you to take note of something precious uh, about the way that John calls our attention to this truth, this Father's love. When John says, See, or, or you're Bibles may translate it, behold, he's calling us to look at something, to gaze upon something that is so wonderful that he doesn't want us to miss it. In other words, he's saying, look at this. Let me direct your attention to something that is absolutely astounding and amazing. And what's so amazing, so astounding is how great the Father's love is in bestowing it upon us by making us his own children. See, the words that are translated in our English Bibles, how great, or some translations, I think the King James says, what manner of love or how great. Actually, those two words are one word in the original Greek text, and it is a word that conveys astonishment, amazement. But let me take it a little deeper. The 
Greek word originally meant, and, and this is just precious, from another country. From another country. From what country is this? In the sense of it, it's foreign to, to anything in this world. In other words, what John is really saying is that the Father's love is so incomprehensible that it is completely foreign to anything we are accustomed to in our world in this human realm. There's another time that this word is used, and, and I think it illustrates the point of this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. It's a story of Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat when the storm came up. We start in verse 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep and they came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. He said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And he got up, he rebuked the winds and the sea and it became perfectly calm. The men, note this, were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You could translate it, what manner of a man is this? In other words, from what realm does this man come that even, even the winds and the sea obey him? This is foreign stuff to us. From where does he hail that even the Sea of Galilee stops when he says cease? That's the same word that John is using. John says that the Father's love, it's like that. What manner of love? It's foreign to us. It's, it's out of this world is what we would say. It's beyond this world because we've never seen anything like this love on the planet. Nothing. There's no country from which this love comes. It's, it's foreign that God the Father would actually cause us to be born again. And folks, what John is excited about is really something that ought to provoke our worship, our wonder, because that's what's happening to John, that God the Father would bestow such love upon us. Think about that. We are not wonderful creatures of his. We are wicked sinners to make us his children. That's what makes it so astonishing. That God the Father would make us, we who were once completely rebellious towards him, and I mean completely, not a little bit, but completely. We were depraved, rebellious in every way. Once we were totally, we, we once totally despised him. Not a little bit, but totally. And once we were children of wrath who followed the dictates of our lusts in our own wretched hearts, and yet God the Father has loved us enough to make us his own children. That's a thought that should stagger us. Do you ever really think about that? The almighty creator of the universe, who is completely self-sufficient and needing nothing beyond himself, has made it possible for us to become his children not through our own efforts, but completely by His grace. That's what John Newton had in mind, I think, when he wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved the Wretch Like Me. Such a thing is not just beyond our language, it's even beyond our imagination. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside since 1981. And if you're in the area some Sunday, I know he'd love to meet you. You can find Lakeside at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. There's more information available at www.lakesidechapel.com. While we're on the subject of websites, let me remind you of our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you missed any part of today's class or want to catch up on previous ones, we make it easy. Just click on the Message Archive tab and you can stream or download any of the hundreds of broadcasts in the list. There's no charge for this, but if you would like to help us cover the expenses of producing and airing verse by verse, click on the Giving tab to find out how easy that is. But please, we hope that you will not neglect your own church, but if the Lord leads you to give to verse by verse, that it would be beyond your regular church giving. Pastor Steve wanted me to let you know about a special offer that we mention from time to time here on Verse by Verse. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and you want a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit blindbibles.com. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. You know, as amazing and wonderful as it is to be a child of God, it's not without its downsides. I love the relationship we have with Jesus through his gift, but I'm not too crazy about the way the outside world treats us. The Apostle John says that this uncomfortable relationship we have with the unsaved we live among is one of the evidences of our salvation. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.